Uh, a couple of things to just to, uh, during this Christmas season, Christmas holiday, on the back table, I want to encourage you guys, if you don't already have one of these, just to follow along with our, our Advent devotional on the back table there. If you, if you like a, a paper copy, you can th- throw in your stuff. It just takes you through the, this Christmas season, keeping our focus on what's important. Yes, spending time with family and friends are important. Spending time with gifts and all the things, are, those are all fun things and important. The decorations, the songs. But really, we ought to keep our focus on what's truly, truly important, shouldn't we? And that's maintaining our relationship with Christ, making sure that we, as, as Rod talked about in Sunday school, make sure we are living a blameless and righteous life before the world. And so this will help us. If you, if you want to follow along with, with me, on, uh, if you use the Uversion app, on your phones or your tablets, I uh, invite you to uh, let me know that you'd like to join me in, in a devotional. Now they have opened up an opportunity for folks to do devotionals together. So if you would like to do that and you'd like to join me in the devotional that I'm doing during this Christmas season, uh, as Dave pointed out, the connection corner and the inside of your bulletin, just put on there. Make sure that I put your name, your email, and on the bottom, Pastor, add me to your list. And I'll send you an email link where you can join the Advent devotional, the Christmas devotional that I'm doing, and that way we can all do it together, and then we can have something to talk about and something to share, and we're all in this together. Make sure that we are focused uh, on these things. So a few of you that I'm already friends with on Uversion, I've already sent you invitations. So you can say, oh, he knows. (laughs) But that's a way we can also keep accountable that we are spending time in God's Word together. And I don't know if it's going to say, Drew hasn't done it today, or Dave hasn't done it today, or Dave's three days ahead. I, I don't think it quite does that, so there's, you don't have that level of accountability. But at least we are working it together, and we can have something to talk about when we see each other on Sunday mornings. So I want to encourage you to do that, to spend time either here or on the Uversion app on your phones to let me know, and we'll be glad to uh, add you to that list as well. The Advent season. Who knows what Advent means? Anybody know what Advent, the word Advent means? All my homeschoolers, where's my homeschoolers? Uh, Advent. Uh Uh-oh, Isaac goes, oh. Regina, what does it mean? I know you know. They're preparing for something to happen. It's the waiting. It's the uh, longing for and looking forward to something taking place. When right now Jonathan and Stephanie are looking for the Advent of their baby coming, another month and a half or so thereabouts. She's like, not soon enough. We're looking for right now for the Advent. We're looking this time, the Advent of Jesus. Now, he's already come, right? He's already come one time, but the people of Israel were longing for the coming of the Messiah. They were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And so this time that we are celebrating the Advent season with People, sometimes some churches use candles, and you'll have four or five candles up here, and they light one each Sunday. They might have different wreaths or different things on the walls, and they they advertise different aspects of the Advent season. They're just ways for us to remember and to look forward to the celebration. Now, as believers, we also look forward to the second coming of Christ. That's a way that we are longing for and looking forward to the second coming of Christ. And that is our Advent today. And today I want to talk to you a minute about joy. Our season, our, 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 our theme, our, our series for the next few weeks is called Heaven on Earth. And today specifically we're talking about joy to the world. About lost joy, joy we can maintain right now, 
and then the future joy that we look forward to as Christ comes back. Because we are longing for, we are anticipating the Christ coming back for us. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look, our text is not in Genesis 3, but you can turn there just for a minute. Our text is actually in Matthew chapter 1, but we're going to, before we ever get there, we're going to go through a whole bunch of other stuff. In Genesis chapter 3, we find the idea of lost joy. Now, losing something may seem like a little odd for a Christmas season. We're all looking forward to gaining something, right? We're looking for gaining presents. We're gaining excitement. We're singing songs. We're decorations. They have us all cheery and happy. But an event happened in Genesis which set everything else in motion. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, He created all the animals, all the plants, all that we have around us, the universe, the stars, the sun, the moon. In the beginning, He created mankind. And in the beginning, in that garden, there was a perfect example of this relationship between His creation and Him. And something happened. Sin entered into the world. Eve is walking through the garden one day and she gets confronted by the snake, by Satan himself, in the form of a snake. And he says, did God really say that you don't have to eat, that you can't eat of any trees in the garden? Well, no, God, he's causing her to question God's word. She says, no, he didn't say that. He said, we can eat of anything, but if we, if we eat of this tree over here, we'll die. Did God really say that? And he leads her through this whole discussion, and he tricks her into eating of the fruit of the tree. And then she, she then gives it to her husband, Adam. He eats of the fruit, and they are aware of their nakedness. They're aware of their sin. They're aware that they have offended a holy God. And where they have been living a life of joy and total awesome communion with the creator of the universe, now there's shame. Now there's a way of their selfishness has gotten in the way of their joy. They've lost out on what God had, the best that he had for them. That's selfishness. They were kicked out of Eden because sin could not exist where God was. Kicked out of the garden. Forced to go and work the land. Eve was going to have pain in childbirth. And all of creation, all that God had created in this world, was now going to suffer as a result of Adam's sin. One act of selfishness, and the whole world is now suffering. God tells Adam, you're going to have to go work the land. And it's going to fight against you. Thorns and thistles and mosquitoes and all kinds of other icky stuff are going to come against you now. And you're going to have to fight against the creation. Whereas before, you could walk through the garden and just pick off the trees and pick off the, whatever you wanted and eat whatever you want. And the earth was providing for you. Now it's going to fight against you because of your selfishness. Advance forward a few years. And mankind has just gone totally to pot. 
Everyone's fighting against one another. There's evil. God steps in, wipes out the whole world with the flood. One family set up to repopulate the world, to reteach God's teachings to mankind, move forward a couple more years, and in Judges it says, every man does what is right in his own eyes. Selfishness steps in. Does this sound like a happy place? Does this sound like a joyful place to live? And you move forward into 1 Samuel and the people got tired of the prophets and they got tired of going to the tabernacle and said, Samuel, give us a king. And they rejected God's authority. They thought that they could provide their own joy. They thought that they could live the way they wanted to and have this joyful, joyful life. But yet they found out that life was not full of joy when they live it by their own whims. That true joy, and we're going to look here in a minute, where true joy only comes when we submit ourselves to God. True joy only comes when we live selfless lives in service to one another. True joy only comes when we humble ourselves and we commit ourselves to following the tenets that we find in God's Word. That's where true joy comes. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness comes and goes. But true joy only comes when you submit, when we give it over to God. We recognize that this joy in mankind, this joy in the world has been lost and God has given us prescription. He's given us a guideline, a set of instructions to how to reclaim that joy. But it's not in the way that the world teaches. It's not in the way, if you look around at the world, it's not in the way that they are trying to impose on us. True joy only comes when we selflessly submit ourselves to God once again. And that's tough. Because, you know, we're Adam's children, <laughs> You know, we, we go back, to, our nature goes back to the Garden of Eden, and I want that fruit. I want to walk over to the, to the tree and, and eat what I want to eat. I want to do what I want to do. I'm a selfish creature. Yes, I'm your pastor, and I'm a selfish creature. I, full, I freely admit it. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. But that doesn't bring me joy. That brings me suffering. That brings me anger. That brings me frustration. That brings me emptiness here. See, because it's only when I truly submit myself and give myself over to the Lord of this universe, to the God of this universe who loves me enough to provide a way to reclaim that joy, to when I give myself over to Him, that I'll find that joy once again. So let's talk about that. How do, you, how do we find that joy? How do we reclaim that joy? Because don't worry. Joy is coming in your life. If right now you are living a life that's just empty, you are living a life that's just full of nothing, you can reclaim that joy once again. No matter what your circumstances are going around, no matter what's going on in your family, no matter what's going on at the dental hygienist office, as my daughter found out yesterday, going through oral surgery on Friday, no matter what's going on in your life, you can have joy. Different from happiness, you can have joy. 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Adam and Eve have now lost their joy. God says to them, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel, talking to the snake. That's a promise. And you're thinking, what does that have to do with joy? And where Adam and Eve have just lost their freedom. They've just been found out. Does that ever happen when you're growing up? You're trying to hide or maybe not even when you grow it, maybe now. You, you've done something you know you shouldn't be doing. Yesterday I came home from men's breakfast, and I, I walked in, or, or last night, and I walked into the house, and our dog sees me and runs over to the door and just does this. And you're going, all right, what's going on? I'm looking around the floor, trying to smell for something, you know. And sure enough, I say, Mamie, what you doing? She drops an apple core out of her mouth. That apple core was upstairs in the, ba- in, in the waste paper basket in the bathroom. She's not allowed upstairs. So while folks were downstairs watching TV, sleeping, snapping on the TV, on the couch, I'm not naming any names, but those who were not, at, not out with us last night, paying no attention to the dog, just saying, um, she went upstairs where she's not supposed to be, grabbed the apple core that I'd eaten three hours earlier out of the garbage pail and gone downstairs and was getting ready to have a snack until I walked in the house. And then she goes, imagine Adam and Eve in the garden. When God says, hello, where are you? And they're walking around like this. We're naked now. And God says, who told you you were naked? And it comes down to the snake. And he, in the midst of punishing Adam and Eve, he makes this promise here in verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, this is the first promise of God for a future Messiah, a Savior who will come and reclaim His people for Himself. In the future, what happens? We know the story of Jesus. Jesus comes, He's born. We're celebrating that during the Christmas season. He lives His life for 33 years. He's crucified and He dies. But in the midst of all that process, He is crucified and so therefore he is, His heel is bruised. At the same time, he crushes the head of the snake on the cross. That's the promise, the very first promise we have here in Scripture of God wanting to help us reclaim the true joy we can have in a relationship with him. See, it's all about relationship. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, their relationship was broken. They were naked. They're covering themselves with leaves and trying to hide. And God finds them in the garden. They can't hide from God. I love the scripture talks about as high as you want to go, as deep as you want to go, God is there. We can't hide from God. But it's also an encouraging thing because no matter how far we think we can run away from God, He is chasing us. He is chasing us. He is chasing us and He will get, bring you back. Joy is promised. 
Secondly, for the next thousands of years, that promise is anticipated, that joy is anticipated by the nation of Israel through prophecies upon prophecies upon prophecies, over 300 prophecies of the coming Messiah over the next course of several thousand years. These prophets who God had spoken to, 300 of them, nothing about this. All my math scholars here. At what point does a probability become improbable? Does a, a, an astronaut, a number become so big that it, odds are never going to happen? If we knew that we were going to go to, you can go to Blackhawk and it's a two-to-one chance that you're going to win. Oh, yeah, I'm putting down 20 bucks. I'm putting down 50 bucks. you got a pretty good odds. Uh, it's now 100-to-one odds. Yeah, maybe a little bit less. 1,000-to-one, yeah, here's a quarter. What if the odds were one in one quadrillion? that you would win anything. See, remember the 300 prophecies of the coming Messiah. 300 prophecies of Jesus, of, of, of the Savior coming. And this is the probability that one man or one person can fulfill eight prophecies. Just eight. One in one quadrillion can fulfill even just eight prophecies. That's called an improbability in scientific terms. We serve a God who is the God of the improbable. Would you agree with that? We serve a God who nothing in this world is improbable for him. In fact, this number, if you think about it, imagine a whole slew of silver dollars spread across the state of Texas. Okay, You take one quadrillion silver dollars, and you would have a stack two feet high across the whole state of Texas. Now, go find a blind man. And you send him across the state of Texas. And you tell him, you can go wherever you want in the state of Texas. As far as you want, dig down as deep as you want, and you pick one quarter, one silver dollar. And you find the one silver dollar that's been marked and you bring it back as the one silver dollar. Those are the odds of one man fulfilling eight of those prophecies. And there were over 300 given in the Old Testament. Can you picture that? I know Texas is a big state, and their heads are even bigger than their state sometimes. All my Texans in here, there's a couple of them. Um, And they're absent today, <laughs> except for Aaliyah uh, and, and Jody. <laughs> Imagine the probabilities of that happening. Send a blind man across. Go to Dallas, go to Austin, go to Odessa, go up into the Red River area, go down south of Houston, San Antonio, wherever you want to go, you pick up one silver dollar. And the odds of him finding that one marked silver dollar not going to happen. And yet Jesus did that. In fact, some of the prophecies of the Messiah, that he was going to be of the tribe of Judah. In Genesis chapter 49, he says that the Messiah is going to be of the tribe of Judah. He's going to be the heir of David's throne in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Who controls where they're born? 
I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. And some people say, I'm sorry. Cincinnati, I had no control. I had no control that I was going to be born in, in the Edder family. I had no control of my gender. I had no control of what my health was or how good looking I was going to be. I had no control over any of those things. The fact that he would be born of a virgin in Isaiah chapter 7. That's just four things that relate to the Messiah. No, absolutely no control. And Jesus stepped forward and fulfilled all 300 of those prophecies. Anticipatory, being anticipated for thousands and thousands of years, from a time of Genesis all the way through Malachi and into into Jesus' life. Some things Jesus was hanging on the cross, and I love he says, so that it might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst, knowing that this still lacked and what it needed to be done. On the cross, he says, I thirst. He had control of that, but so many of these other things, he had no control of. It had been anticipated. People were looking forward to the joy, looking forward to reclaiming that joy, looking forward to having that relationship with God renewed again. Now we get to the text of today's message. You're going, that's a long introduction. Don't worry. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to find not just being anticipated, we're going to find the arrival of joy. That's our celebration this season. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, took his wife, and knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. See, here in this story, we find the arrival of joy, true joy again, into the world. Mankind for thousands of years had been looking forward, looking forward, longing for, and awaiting the Messiah. Now the advent was here. No longer was any waiting needed. No longer did they have to wait for, the, for Jesus, for this promised Savior from Genesis chapter 3. This promised Savior had now arrived on the scene and our relationship could restart. Think of it like a jump start in your car. All of us have had your cars go bad, go dead and you've all, have, all had to go and call somebody and say, Triple uh, A or Triple Rich, uh, please come and uh, uh, help me jump my car. Help me come and, 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 and get started again. 
And AAA comes out there and they, okay, and they attach the cables and off you go. This is a jump start in our relationship with God once again. Jesus coming into the world. The promise of the Savior. For 4,000 years, 6,000 years, it had been promised. People looking forward to it, looking forward to it. The words of the prophets, the words of the writers, the words of the priests, everything that they had been doing was pointing to this moment. Even while they were in exile, Daniel's prophesying about the exact time when the Messiah would be born. And then he prophesies again about the exact time when the Messiah would die. But so many people missed it. They were looking for a king. They're looking for the warrior. They're looking for the priest, three different people, and they missed that he was going to come as a little babe and humble himself and serve mankind by giving his life. See, we have a choice to make. We can choose to remain in our selfishness. We can choose to continue doing what we want to do when we want to do it. Or we can, and we can be, remain in our sad state, never learning to experience true joy. Or we can humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the one who came on our behalf and teach others to do the same. This time of the year, it's a very joyful time, very happy time for many people, but it's also a very sad time. And we need to be aware that there are folks around us who are longing and looking for answers to their problems. And that answer came in the form of that little babe as he entered into the world on our behalf and died for you and me a short 33 years later. And even now, we long, we look for the future. As we look for the future joy that awaits us with His second coming. And my answer to you today is, my, my command to you today is, embrace the Messiah. Embrace the Messiah who came for you. Embrace the Messiah and His promise to you, what He did, what He came to do for you. It's not just so that we can have a happy life, so we can life can be easy. It's not so that we can have a good marriage or have good kids or have a good job. It's so that we can have that relationship with God once again. Embrace the Messiah. Because joy awaits when you do that. Tim Keller said this. Tim Keller is a pastor up in New England. He says, Christmas is the end of thinking that you are better than someone else. Because Christmas is telling you that you could never get to heaven on your own. God had to come to you. Christmas is God saying, you can't become righteous enough on your own. So I'm going to come and become that righteousness for you, to live that life, that totally righteous life, and to fulfill all the responsibility, fulfill all the requirements of my law and exchange your sinfulness with my righteousness. Think of it this way. I love this story. There was once an old man didn't live in a shoe. An old man. I don't know why that came to my mind. It just did. 
an old man in his house, drinking his coffee, drinking his hot chocolate in the middle of winter. He looks outside his windows. He sees these birds on the trees, and the, the birds are out there shivering. Oh, I wish we had some. Either their water, their water bath thingy is frozen. There's no food anywhere to be found. They're just up there, and they're huddled together, shivering in the branches. He opens the door, walks outside. Come in, come in, and they, they fly away. He goes back inside, gets his hot chocolate again. He's drinking it. And the birds come back to the trees. And they're huddled on the branches and they're shivering. And all oh, those poor little birds, if only they could come inside and get out of the cold. They, I could take care of them. And he opens the door again and, please come on inside. Sh- they're gone. He goes back inside. A short time later, they come back to the trees and they're huddled away and they're shivering. And he's, they're going to die and he knows that there's nothing they can do. They're just going to sit there and the temperature's going to be dropping tonight. And what can he do? He thought, if I could only become a bird. I could go and lead them to safety. If I could only become a bird, I could go and tell them the truth. That in here, it's safe. In here, they can find joy. In here, they can find warmth. And it dawned on, that's exactly what God did for us. For thousands of years, He left breadcrumbs for people to follow. He left clues about himself for people to follow. He left prophecies about the coming Messiah for people to look to and to find the truth. And yet people rejected because of our selfless selfishness. And they tried to renew that relationship with God on their own. They tried to become good enough on their own. They tried to do what they thought they had to do on their own. They didn't realize that it wasn't about what I do. It's about what God is going to do on my behalf. And so he became one of us and lived a perfect, sinless life. And the rest of the, the Bible is all about leaving more breadcrumbs for us so that we could find the truth, so we could learn to experience the joy, so we could learn to experience true, blessed fellowship and true, wonderful relationship with Him once again. So this is all breadcrumbs pointing to a God who loves you, to a God who wants you to have a wonderful, joy-filled life. In this world, many people choose still to reject him. It's our job, men and women, boys and girls, to take these breadcrumbs and throw them out to our neighbors, to throw them out to our coworkers, to throw them before those we come in contact with, those that God brings along our path, your next-door neighbor, the one who drives you nuts, who's got a dog that just barks all night long and just... Makes you want to get a BB gun. Make him cry out for a reason. God has given us breadcrumbs so that we can throw them before the masses. To lead them to him. So that he can save them. So that he can show them the way to have true joy and true peace in their life. Next week, as we continue our Advent series, we'll be talking about peace. And how, as the body of Christ, how as God's people, he brings true peace 
and happiness to our lives. We'll be talking about hope week after that and how God brings hope into our lives where there is no hope in this world. And the last week, Christmas Eve, how he is the light of the world. And hope is this next, during this holiday season, that you will invite your friends and your family, those that don't know Christ, those that don't have a place to go, just throw those breadcrumbs before them. So I know you're hurting. Here there's joy. Here there's peace. Here there's hope. Here there's light in the darkness. Bring your friends and your family. Share with them the love of Christ. Share with them about the hope and joy we find only in Christ. Because God has called each of us to be ministers on his behalf. It's not just your pastor. We are all to be his ministers and sharing the truth of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that you are joy embodied. You are the... You came and you brought to us true joy, a way to find it again. When life around us lies to us and tells us that we can just seek our own benefit, our own pleasures, you came to us and showed us a different way. You left us breadcrumbs to find you. God, I thank you that you came that you came and redeemed us. So we didn't have to look down and just look at the leaves and say, I'm naked, I'm, I'm ashamed. But you have clothed us again, clothed us in righteousness, clothed us in your righteousness so that we might have joy, we might find joy again. Lord, you are the joy of the world. Let us proclaim it loudly from the mountaintops everywhere we go this Christmas season. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing one last.